All right, now we are going to turn to John chapter 6. And this might be a little confusing, but I'm only going to read the first half of this. But I promise we'll get there. We'll get to the rest of the scripture. But what's listed on there is not all that I'm going to read right now. So here now from the book that we love. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd following, coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered, Six months' wages would not buy enough, for each, enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in this place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled twelve baskets. When the people saw the signs that he had done, they began to say, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. When Jesus realized what they were, that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountains by himself. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me quickly here. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, dear Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Food, it's kind of a big deal, kind of a powerful thing. Um, what is that saying? It's give a man a fish and he will try to make you king of your people so they can take over the Roman emperor. Yeah, <laughs> that's how that goes. Um, but I, I don't know if I can really, really blame them for that. You know, I, I've seen the power that food has. I don't think I've ever wished for a modern miracle more than this one time when I was a camp counselor a couple of years ago. Um, so if you're in high school, you are allowed to stay for two weeks, which means over a weekend, it's just like 50 to 60 high schoolers at camp. All the other counselors are gone besides a couple of the counselors that are supposed to look after them. And we have to get them to Sunday evening when other camp activities start again. So we got to entertain them for a while. Um, and so what we normally do is we take them out to a lake. We let them play in the water. You know, we play ultimate. We play beach games. We canoe. It's, it's a great time. Great time. Um, and what's supposed to happen is the kitchen leaves out some hot dogs and like apples and like chips and we go and pick it up beforehand and we take out to the lake and we grill um, and we feed everyone. Um, that's how it's supposed to work. Um, but this particular day, um, we got the food, we got the grill going, which was what we were kind of worried about, you know, like that's the thing that could go wrong is we destroy the grill and we can't cook any of this food. Um, and we start calling up people, you know, by cabin, like, come grab food. Um, and the first one goes through, and it's going great. And we're like, yes, we're doing it. Uh, the second cabin goes through, and, and my friend Molly just kind of nudges me and is like, hey, how many hot dogs do you think are left on that grill over there? 
And, and I go over and look, and I don't know how many there were, but the answer is truly just not enough. We had maybe like 40 kids left to feed, plus all the counselors. And I don't know how we noticed, didn't notice that there was like just marginally less food than there should have been, like, you know, like 30 hot dogs instead of 60. But we just didn't notice until this exact moment, and we, we just started panicking. Like these high schoolers have been outside in the sun all day, you know, running around, and like we've been watching them eat. Like during the, the whole week before, you know, they're going up three or four times, you know, they're like in the middle of football season workouts, so they're just like ready to go. And I just, we have no idea how we're gonna feed them all. And we start just making phone calls and we watch, you know, those kids that have been like swimming around for a while get hungrier and hungrier and kind of are like, huh, I wonder why they're not calling us up to eat yet. And you know, I think their hunger might have been similar to someone who had been following Jesus around in the middle of a bunch of mountains. Um, I don't know, maybe they got healed a couple stops back. I feel like that would take a lot out of you. Um, maybe you get pretty hangry after that. Um, so I can't really blame the disciples for this logistical panic that they're going through, right? Like they, they see this huge sea of people and they're like, how are we gonna feed all of them? And Jesus is like, yeah, how much money do you think that's gonna take? Six months, that's pretty good math. Like he, he was right on top of that. But we kind of give the disciples a hard time because you know, we know the end of the story. You know, we're like, come on, you've got Jesus, it'll be fine. And I don't think I would think it would be fine. I know like they're supposed to have seen the big picture, they're supposed to have seen Jesus healing people and just trust in him, right? But uh, I don't blame them. But they're living in this mindset of scarcity. It's this idea that uh, you only are looking at what you don't have. You're worried about uh, making sure that there's enough because there's never enough. They have five measly loaves of bread, which wouldn't have been enough for, you know, that kid, let alone just the disciples. And now Jesus is asking them to feed everyone, all 5,000 people. But Jesus is living in this mindset of abundance instead. There will be enough for everyone. God will provide. Scarcity says that resources are limited, that we need to fight and ration what we have. Abundance says no to that. It looks for creativity and trust and care. And I think Jesus knew that there are limitations to how humans can think, you know, because that's the way our world works in our heads is there's not enough and we have to protect. But Jesus is taking this moment not only to care for the most basic human needs, food, but also taking the time to try to shift the disciples out of their thinking, to try to move them somewhere else. Look at what we do have. Look at how we can care for these people. This is a story that I think we often connect with, like communion and the Lord's Supper. And, you know, it makes sense. You know, we got the, the rhythm of taking the bread, giving thanks, distributing it around. That's very similar to communion. Um, but in this version in John, the, the words that are picked out are very specifically picked to mirror the, the language that's used for hosting in Jewish culture. Um, so I don't know, if you go think back into the Old Testament, you got Abraham when he hosts those two angels and is giving out food to the angels and then, you know, they tell him he's going to have a kid and Sarah laughs about it. It's a good time. Um, 
or there's stories of how during these big festivals, uh, pilgrims would all come to Jerusalem and huge influx of people. And it was said that no one was ever alone or lost. Like they could all, they would all be welcomed into homes of residents. People would just take them in and host them. And it was this holy role, this like very special role to host people and give of whatever you had to make sure that your guest was cared for. And so here we have Jesus doing the same thing. He's taking the role of abundant host. He's saying, I will care for these people. I will give them all that they need. And he's pushing his disciples to do the same thing, right? He's inviting them in to this mindset. He's inviting them in to become hosts. In Matthew and Mark, when they tell this story, Jesus gives the bread to the disciples to give to the people. Jesus is asking them to take on this vision of plenty, to participate in it and become more. And so he feeds all these people and then disappears up into the mountains and the disciples are left to their own devices. And then they do kind of an odd thing. And we're gonna go back to our scripture right now and see what the disciples choose to do. So when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were terrified. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they wanted to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached land towards which they were going. We give the disciples a really hard time. We're like, of course that's Jesus walking on the water. Why are you scared? That's no big deal. It's just what he does. Don't worry about it. Of course you're going to be safe. You're not going to drown. Like Jesus isn't going to let you drown in the water. Of course he's going to feed all those people. Like, come on. Guys, get with the program. This is God. Come on. But I think when it comes to challenging our own mindsets of scarcity, the own ways, our own ways of worrying if God is going to provide for us, we kind of give ourselves a little bit more leeway. You know, when our world has this mindset of there is not enough, we absorb that and we hold on to it. It's the only way that we can think. You know, no, we can't let any more people into the country. There's barely enough jobs for ourselves. You know, scarcity mindset is buying up a bunch of toilet paper during a pandemic because you're worried that 12-pack that you've been saving in the basement for, like, years isn't going to be enough to get you through. And you got to get yours before everyone else takes yours. You know, um, scarcity mentality is just so pervasive that we don't even recognize that there are other ways that there are other avenues forward in life. And I think it gets into our churches just as much as it's in the world. You know, we need to be careful with our money so that we can continue on. You know, we don't live in a perfect world, so, you know, we got to have that emergency fund. we got to make sure that we've got enough. We can't help everyone. There's just not enough space. There's not enough time. There's not enough money. And on some level, you know, all of that is true. Like, we do have to be careful and steward our resources. But I think we tend to let those excuses lull us to sleep. 
we tend to be let those run it run our church instead of challenging those and we don't challenge them in the way that we challenge the disciples to do things differently you know i don't think our logistical nightmare is any worse than trying to feed 5000 people at once with no warning i don't think our logistical nightmare is any worse than being in, out on a boat in the middle of a sea in the dark with waves coming over the side just as jesus was in their midst and Jesus uh, was outside of the box and going to save them and care for them. The Holy Spirit is with us now. And I believe that we can live into this abundance mindset, that we can hold on to how Jesus is calling us to live just as much as they would be able to then. Um, walking on water is pretty cool. I'm not going to lie to you about that. I think it's... One of the cooler miracles that Jesus does, like after water into wine, that's up there. Um, and I think, you know, the, the image of Jesus walking on the water is so cool. And like the way that God's divinity is expressed in that moment is amazing. But I think the third miracle that we see in the readings is actually my favorite miracle of all of the ones that we read today. Um, and it's one that I think we don't even notice most of the time. So I'm going to read it again so that we can catch it. When they had rowed three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they wanted to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the land toward which they were going. And immediately the boat reached the land toward which they were going doesn't say that the sea calmed. It doesn't say that the wind stopped. It just said they got to where they were going. Um, and when I was procrastinating writing the sermon, um, I was doing some really unhelpful research um, where I looked up how big the Sea of Galilee is. It's eight miles across. Um, so it was three or four miles was not where they were going. And the extension of that research was me trying to figure out what Michigan Lake around here is also that size to give everyone a visual. I still don't know. So if you know, <laughs> I, I caught myself like an hour and a half in and I was like, this is not what I'm supposed to be doing with my time. Uh, so if you have a note of a lake that's eight miles across and I think it's 12 miles long, regardless, let me know. That way we can all have an understanding. But they were rowing in the middle of a sea and then they were just where they needed to be. Their expectation was that getting Jesus into the boat would calm the storm. Their expectation was that the storm would stop and they would be able to get where they were going. But Jesus didn't lean into the natural way of things. Jesus got them to safety exactly how he wanted to, but not how we expected it to be. They were kept fully safe in a very different way. And between, you know, feeding people by just breaking bread up a bunch of times over and over again and magically transporting across to where they needed to be, I think there's this deep call to creativity for us. This challenge to say no to the way that we think church is supposed to work and life is supposed to work, how feeding people is supposed to work, what safety looks like, and say no, I think there might be another way. There might be a way that doesn't come from a mindset of scarcity. Maybe the questions and demands on us and our church can be answered 
in new and exciting and abundant ways. Maybe there's win-win-win situations instead of win-lose. Maybe there's something more. Maybe space can be repurposed, answers can come from unexpected people, or resources given in different and more ways than we, can, we thought they could. In the Presbyterian Church, I'm new to the Presbyterian Church, but one of the things that I noticed and loved immediately was when we bless ministries or ordain pastors or uh, install people, um, we like to ask this question. Um, the question is, will you pray for and seek to serve the people with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love? Energy, intelligence, imagination, and love. Those are calls to love people well with our resources in ways that are outside of the box, in ways that are intelligent, that are creative, that are imaginative, that are different, to meet people's needs in ways that might be uncomfortable and exploratory and new, to trust in God who walks on water and promises God's abundance and God's intention to bring us to the other side safely. You know, let's, let's not limit ourselves. Let's challenge ourselves how we challenge the disciples to act and live in the world. God is with us. I wonder what could be possible. Let's follow Jesus up that mountain. Let's row our boat in the right direction and hand out food when he hands it to us. Trusting that we will be fed and kept safe as we go through everyday issues of church and wonder how we might host well alongside Jesus. And I'm not going to pretend that that's the easiest thing to do. You know, I saw true devastation on teens' faces when I told them there was not enough food for them. There was a lot of grumbling, and it wasn't just from stomachs. It was truly terrifying in a way that I was just not ready for. Um, that, that story had a mildly miraculous ending. You know, um, we, we kind of gave a, a, an apology, a very deep apology, and then uh, we said, all right, everyone can go through the line and just like grab an apple or a chip or a hot dog and like just take one and that will hopefully tide you over to when our boss will be coming with more food. Um, and people went through the line and then there was still food left. So people were able to loop through again if they had, um, they wanted something else to keep them going. Um, and that was because people who had gone through the line at the beginning and gotten full meals had immediately gone back through and dropped stuff off. So they only also got whatever they had eaten. Um, there were, have you ever seen that thing where you can tear an apple in half with your bare hands? A bunch of guys were like showing off how they could do it, but like that way they could like give the other half to their neighbor. Um, it was really beautiful. And again, it was not, you know, perfect. It was not the easiest thing. People were still hungry. A couple people were still upset. But there was this deep sense of community and togetherness and sense that we were going to make it through together. Um, and you know, I don't think I've ever heard a bigger cheer at a football game or concert nowhere than when my boss like came around the corner with a bunch of grocery bags. Uh, it was truly a joyous moment. But even before that moment, there was this abundance, there was excitement and togetherness and community and joy in a space that 
normally would not be bringing that type of feeling. Um, and I wonder how that sense of community might look like in church and in our elder meetings and during Sunday morning coffee hours um, when we are trying to think about how to live well as a community and how we engage with the questions of scarcity and the ways that we don't have enough. You know, when, I, when we wonder about where our offerings are going this quarter or how to welcome strangers in or how to use our space well, we can stretch our creative muscles, we can lean into our imagination and intelligence and love, and we can move into new territories out of basic categories. And I know I haven't been here very long. Um, I've just been here a couple, a couple of weeks, two months now maybe, uh, but I already see the ways that we are trying to do that now. Like today, it's 90 degrees. We could be in the sanctuary right now, sweating. We have chosen not to do that. We have chosen a new way to exist together, to find community, to be together. Um, and I think to, it's worked out pretty well. You know, we've solved a problem. We move forward together in that. And I know that we can continue to do so with other questions and problems that the world brings before us. And also, I just wonder if we live into a church life of abundance, if we say, no, we don't have to live with scarcity at the forefront in our church life, how that might move and change how we live in the world. I hope that you are filled with wonder and excitement at the opportunities that God might have for us, what gifts and surprises God might have when we take the time to join in on abundance. Our creative wonderings and questions can lead us in the footsteps of an abundant God. And I pray that we might do so with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love. Pray with me really quick. Abundant God who brings us all good things, teach us to walk in your ways. Help us to see your joy and abundance in each step we take. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.